All right, and welcome back to The Dented Buck. My name is Drew. As always, I'm joined by Josh, Dirk, and Corey. How's it going, boys? Pretty good. It's it's nice in Jersey right now. It's going to be nice in Minnesota this weekend. Looking forward to it. How's it, uh, how's it going down in uh, D.C. there? I don't know. The weather down here has been great all day. I'm sitting on my porch in a T-shirt. It's still nice. So, oh, it's been a good day. What's how's the how's the snow in Colorado there, Corey? It's great. Uh, well, the- well, I mean, to be fair, I'm ex- I, mean, I, I am ex- I am really excited for Minnesota because it's just like over here, it's like always cloudy, and it's just like oh, even though it's snowing, you might be able to see the mountains, but it's just like no, it's just cloudy and dreary. So I'm excited to go out into us, go out into the sun. Yeah. Yeah, Minnesota's going to be fun. Um, it'll be the second time the Denton Fucks have been at a pond hockey tournament. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to do that again. Uh, we had the opposite in Colorado last year where it was super sunny uh, the entire time we were there. And uh, the glare off of the ice and the snow Ooh. mixed yeah, with playing hockey was just brutal. Oh yes. God, I couldn't even imagine. Well, see, that's why. Like, I don't know what I don't. I think we we were texting about it earlier, but I figured out. Uh, I think I sent you that picture. I can put it up on the, I'll put a, put it up on the screen of what I have. Oh yeah, the ski goggles. Yeah, the yeah. ski goggles. I'm telling you, it's it there there. If it is as sunny as it was in Denver or in Silverthorne when we played, then you will definitely be happy you have them. Oh yeah, I'll, I will. I know I will. I know I will. Yeah, right. when I go skiing, I have to use them because I can't handle the white snow glares. I know what you're talking about. It's awful. It's just you're white. Everything's bright and it reflects. Hey, I'm everything. still suggesting to get the Ovechkin visor. I'm uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this though. So, uh, uh what's it called? Silverthorne was what nine thousand feet, right? It was something crazy. Yeah. Uh, Prior no, Lake's only nine hundred. Prior Lake's not even a thousand feet up, so we're at least going to be a little far, a little farther away from the sun. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, that was brutal because we went from airport to car, three-hour drive directly to a game, and without Ooh. any time to acclimate to the the altitude. So it was it, that made it more brutal. <laughs> I mean, we played two. We we played game, ate something, game, didn't we? Oh, I didn't eat anything. I don't, I don't think I ate anything until oh, we got brutal. back to the the house that night. Did we? No, I mean, I, we never eat at any. <laughs> no, we don't. We don't. We don't. Uh, it's it's our anorexic hockey trips. Actually, not that would be that would be us. No, that's different, right? Yeah, anorexia is not that. Yeah, I mean, I'm it's pretty sure not, people look at me and, and think I don't. I miss a couple meals here and there. <laughs> I don't miss well, any meals. I do. Not, no. I do not either. <laughs> it may look like it, but I don't. I, I find a few extras actually. I'm like a hobbit. <laughs> oh, I nervous. got them. <laughs> but weren't at camp? weren't didn't you look at the? Weren't you another one that we were like we should be eating, but we really physically can't eat right now? Is I think it was. Or... Yeah, I was. I was nauseous at camp. Yeah, I had like the freaking Charlie gave me his monkey pox or something. I don't know what he had. But... <laughs> <laughs> because um, yeah, we're but... not cutting that now. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I don't know. He came to his camp sick, and he, he's like, "Yeah, I went to the doctors, and they gave me. I said, give me the best stuff you got, and they gave me four cups of medicine. I don't even know what they are.'" And I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> Mister Mitchell, by... <laughs> you're not you're not allowed in Canada." <laughs> oh man. <laughs> But uh, no, I and I went home and got my whole family sick. I went home, but 
Yeah, no, it was uh, it was interesting. Yeah, but I remember what you're talking about. We were in Buffalo, yeah, I think. And I was nauseous. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The food was good there, too. I wish I could have yeah. eaten. I was so irritated. I'm like, I just want to eat. It tastes so good. But, yeah. <laughs> um, man, okay. Uh, before, before we get in our intro for this awesome episode we recorded, I just... I have a love-hate relationship with fantasy hockey. I just, I just oh, dude, I am it. going. I'm taking you this week. I think you will. <laughs> no, but I'm. I keep. I've been up for two days. I've been up on you, and it keeps saying the projected. You're like up fifty on me. Well, and Matthews like, is back. I, yeah, but Jack's coming back tomorrow. Relax. Whatever. I, I Ottinger, I still think is the best goalie in the league. And thank you, Corey. Huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I I bamboo. I don't. I don't even think I bamboozled. I think Corey just was tired of me bugging him to get Ottinger. I mean, I'm not last. No, that is true. I'm two and fifteen. Good God! I'm prepare your anus and meth club. Or that's the that's a gap right there. <laughs> Sorry. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I heard it. Uh, <laughs> um, no, but it's, it is wild. It is wild to me to play. So this is the second year we've done dented pucks fantasy hockey. It is wild to me that you, you know you kind of you you pay more attention to these players that you've picked up, and just to see the guys that you're like, oh, this guy is going to be amazing, and then he comes in and he's just he's just not. It just it's not the same. Or he was really good last, and I get that that's just. Hockey, that's ups and downs of, of being well, humans and stuff. I only realize it now. I've got two whole spots on my starting lineup, like, with nobody. Dude, I know. That's why I kept I mean, you about Ottinger, so you'd at least pay attention to the fact that you had, like, so much empty. Corey, I feel like you should at least always have a spot open since your team is Meth Club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? I don't know. All, all I know is that I stuck with my team, and I took Austin Matthews first, and I should have taken Nick David. It's okay. At some point in the next week, you're going to have an 88. Oh, doesn't uh, doesn't Toronto already have an 88? Yeah, Nylander. I mean, is Nylander giving up the jersey? You think Kane's going to go to Toronto? Kane said there were two teams he wanted to go to, and one of them was the Rangers. That's been all out. How upset he was. That um that the red that he didn't go to the Rangers. Did he, he say said there what were two the other team was? The beliefs. Really? Yeah, that's what it's been everywhere. Oh, hmm. I saw uh, Vegas and oh man, who was the other? Everywhere I've seen it around here was that he was upset that he didn't go to the that the Rangers guy was Tarasenko, right? Yeah. Um. And instead of him, because he only had two teams on his no trade on his uh on his list, it went and where it keeps saying the other team was was the Leafs. So I don't know. I mean, it could be different. You're also there, so yeah. Well, this sure the information I think I saw on the NHL's website. Um, but I think that the thing is, you know, the only way that makes sense is if Nylander gets traded to Chicago for Kane. Like that's the only way the money makes sense for the Maple Leafs. Kane's just been so bad this year. Sorry, Corey. But I don't know. I was, my thing was weird. Did you tell me that now? Well, okay. <laughs> you also said you didn't care and let me have my pick. <laughs> oh, well, oh, yeah, you did. Oh, yeah, you did trade me Patrick Kane. 
<laughs> Who else did I give you? Kane and Knight? No. Grubauer? Oh, good, good God. You Grubauer. Me, oh, Groovy. Give me Grubauer. <laughs> who, who are my other goalies? Josh Allen and Soros. Hey, Soros? Oh, sorry. Jake a... Allen. Josh Allen's the guy from the Bills. My bad. Yeah. I mean, both those guys are goalies in the NHL. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Fantasy's crazy. It, I feel like it's made me watch more hockey too, so I'm a little appreciative of that. But um, so let's talk about let's talk about our guest. Uh, so you know, we all like to live by the the mantra of hockey is for everyone. And this week we had Anthony Walsh on, uh, who is uh, just an amazing guy that wrote a kids book and is is trying to really push forward that notion that hockey is for everyone um we're really lucky and you'll hear a little bit more about it in the episode that we're partnering with him to uh bring blind hockey to his hockey is for everyone camp in saint cloud minnesota this july uh and also the showdown for for some blind games there but um it's it is fascinating to listen to someone from minnesota because hockey is so much more than just a sport to them and uh to kind of hear how he's utilized those relationships to benefit more than just himself uh so with that being said uh we hope that you guys enjoy this interview just as much as we enjoyed talking to him All right, Anthony. Welcome to the show. I'm really, uh, I'm really excited to have you on. We've we've had a couple conversations over the past month, and uh, I, it's just great to meet like-minded people. So, how how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing really well, thank you. And uh, yeah, I'm really happy to be here. And uh, like you said, like-minded. The stuff that um you all are, are doing is incredible. And so, it's really an honor to be on your show. Thank you. Oh, thank you. It's the honor is definitely ours. Um. So let's let's talk about what brought us together. Let's talk about hockey. Uh, where are you from? Where, when did you start playing? Kind of what's your your background in hockey? Yeah. Wow. Um. So I'll get right to it. I uh, I was born in Washington D.C. Ended up in Minnesota um, by adoption, and then um, started playing playing hockey there. So um, you know, being a a black individual is uh you know something that you don't always see on the ice but that's something i've always known my entire life is uh, skating so i haven't really known anything else so i started skating when i was three started playing hockey when i was four and uh from there i uh, played youth hockey in edina uh, minnesota i played all the way up through the ranks there i played uh varsity hockey for edina for three years uh, 2011 2012 2013 had um the great honor of uh, being on a double a AA, uh, state championship team and uh, was able to you know accomplish that with the guys I had you know gone through Edina hockey with most of my life and that was an incredible experience. I had a short stint uh, D3 hockey at Bethel uh, University in the MIAC and then from there uh, redid my freshman year uh, after that but had a year in between a gap year in, in Canada um, where I played junior hockey uh, in Steinbach, Manitoba, and in Brockville, Ontario. And then, as I kind of mentioned again, I went to school after that at UND up in Grand Forks, University of North Dakota. Played a, a year of club hockey there before kind of hanging up the skates a bit, uh, you know, competitively and finding some other things to get passionately involved in. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> that is incredible, man. 
Oh, no way. I, I, if that's, you know, I, I definitely feel like it's, uh, you know, it was a hockey journey and, uh, you know, I was grateful to be able to play with, um, you know, some incredible players. Um, uh, you know, some of the people I played with are in the NHL now and other people are just doing incredible things around the community and the state and, um, you know, the country, et cetera. So, um, you know, I feel just, you know, very grateful to have had the opportunities I've had and to have been around the people that I've been around, but I, you know, can attribute all of that to hockey. Yeah. And I mean, Minnesota hockey is just a whole nother level. Of, uh, I'm well, right. Yeah. I mean, I really, I mean, um, you know, Minnesota hockey, uh, it's another level like Edina hockey, um, you know, uh, the boys, um, uh, West Metro Lake conference, you know, some of those schools, Edina, Minnetonka, Wyzetta, um, et cetera, um, in particular have, you know, some, some really, uh, really talented people and, uh, it's really competitive. So, right. Like you'll have people that there's a, you know, still a couple stories of people that didn't make Edina's, um, you know, high school varsity team and still went on to play D1 hockey and professional hockey, um, et cetera. So, like, yeah, Minnesota is one of those places where, um, you know, the, no matter where, what level you're playing at, um, you're going to find people that really know what they're doing, know how to skate, put the puck in the net, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we um, we play up at the Hendrickson uh every summer and just seeing some of the guys from Minnesota play it, 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 it always blows my mind. And, and we make the joke with, uh, one of our Minnesota guys, Nick, uh, that he's basically Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just with how, how important hockey is in that community. Um, we've tried to trade him multiple times. They won't take him for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> right. We call it a Canada light. Uh, as <laughs> no, a, a joke, but then again, like I, I say that with the tongue in cheek because you know we we do as well embrace embrace very very strongly our own Minnesota and um, you know American hockey culture. But yes, you know in a in a very joking manner we can kind of call it Canada light just because um, you know we are the state of hockey and um, it is really the main sport that a lot of people um, you know do do celebrate and support. Yeah, yeah. So what was it? I mean, in in the state of hockey, what was it like for you growing up? Because those you know those were high level competitiveness or i'm sure like compete level in those those uh leagues that you were playing in were, were very high so what what was that like just in general i mean did it become become your life pretty much yeah i mean it really uh was and like you said a very high compete level um you know when you look at the united states olympic teams on both men and women's right um you know the roster are the rosters are you know normally uh, you know, filled with people from Minnesota, and um, and you know that's not by accident, right? Like we do live, breathe, sleep, eat, uh, you know, hockey in the state, and uh, right, like I kind of mentioned Rick earlier, right? You know, there are there are players who might not make their um, varsity squads, you know, for the city or high school that they played for, but then who will go on to still play um, incredibly high level hockey, whether that be D one or high level juniors or you know D three or et cetera, but that you know, just because they were cut from a high school team, their hockey journey is not over because, you know, overall they still have so much skill and that just, you know, in certain towns, there's so much skill that, you know, can be put on the ice that you have to find, you know, other avenues. So, I mean, it's competitive atmosphere, um, right, but it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of brotherhood, a lot of community, a lot of, um, you know, you know, teasing here and there as well, right? Like, just like a lot of good fun, but like, it's also really cool is, um, 
you know, people from different towns. Um, you get to know through summer hockey and playing, um, you know, against them and stuff. Uh, uh, cool little story, I guess, for my, not like story story, but just uh, a team I had played on when I was, I think, a third grader maybe, uh, was called the Rangers. And um, somebody who is now really well-known, um, you know, for their hockey pro is an, is an absolute NHL superstar, um, Jake Gensel who plays for the the Penguins, you know, happened to be on my team then and all these kind of things. And I'd also had the great honor of playing, um, you know, with a lot of other, um, you know, really high-level players who had played at, uh, you know, uh, high-level college or in the NHL, et cetera. And so, yeah, Minnesota hockey is um, really a, a carve-out on its own when it comes to the sport of hockey, in my opinion. And a lot of people, um, you know, that want to learn the game right, um, you know, they come here because they want to be around people that are, um, you know, again, living, breathing, sleeping, um, the sport of hockey. Yeah. I I just want to say, uh, I've never met an NHL player in in person. And we know a couple guys that have are friends with NHL coaches, NHL players, things like that. The way you guys just like nonchalantly talk about these people, I would be losing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, and it's, you know, like, very interesting, um, because, I mean, like, right, like, these are the elite of the elite. I mean, like, you know, they're ab absolutely, right, but at the end of the day, they are also kind of your your, your peers, right? So, um, you know, having grown up with these people, um, you know, being on a first-name basis, et cetera, right, like, it's just kind of like a privilege, I guess, that you have of being part of this community where, again, you know, hockey is such a lifeblood that it allows people to go on and to make careers out of it and to make livings and be able to feed their families, et cetera. And, um, you know, that is really, really awesome. And, um, you know, kind of, again, that's not for everybody. And just, uh, you know, to highlight that as well, right? Like I, I played on a team that was considered to be, um, you know, the best in the state and all these things. And when we had won and, uh, you know, most of the people that I had played with realistically just kind of, um, you know, have gone on in non-hockey life and to, you know, make really big differences in the communities there. So, I mean, like, what's really cool kind of, again, about that is, like, you know, even if hockey might not be the ultimate path that you take, like, you're still able to, again, um, you know, draw from those childhood experiences and, um, you know, people that you call friends and teammates, acquaintances, et cetera, right? Like, you still see them around and you're able to um, you know, forge those strong bonds. So, you know, when I do see people like um, Andres Lee out and, you know, when he's back from New York, et cetera, right, stuff like that, I mean, like, he is um, a regular guy. He's an incredibly amazing person that, um, you know, doesn't look down on anybody because of the high status that he holds. And, you know, that just is a testament to his character and a testament to the character of a lot of these, you know, people um, you know, that do reach these hikes that, at the end of the day, they're just people like you and me and, um Right. Like, I think that, uh, you know, as much as they probably, you know, love to be, um, you know, held to a high standard for the accomplishments that they've held. I, I, I do think that a lot of times it can be really, um, you know, nice and humbling and to be just, you know, treated like a regular human being, you know, when you're back home. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so. I'm where would you like to go with your hockey? Do you want to do you want to talk about just growing up in that that community or? Well, I mean, like, I guess, uh, you know, I um, so 
like growing up in community, right? Down, I got a great community, um, very hockey based, and I spent a lot of my time on the ice. You know, I'd say out at three sixty five, right, three forty five, right. I'm probably on the ice. You know, when I was younger, skating all these kind of things, and that was pretty pretty par for the course as far as you know people that I was around and. Um, right? Like you, you find yourself loving the game. And I did, I know, always kind of joke. It's if I didn't skate for the rest of my life, you know, I would still know how to, it's like riding the bike, um, you know, so that's also really awesome. And so, yeah, I mean, that's been great. And then I kind of said like, right, I played um, high level uh, juniors, all this kind of stuff like that. I was going to, um, you know, but I looked in the mirror and I said, I would, uh, if I want to continue at, at the rate I'm at, um, you know, I'll have to grind it out in juniors another two, three years, right? Um, you know, find find a, you know, team to, to play from there and then, you know, go to school a couple of years after I might already matriculate out of high school and, you know, what that looks like. And so, you know, I just decided that, right, that wasn't for me and got out another path for myself. And so then I went into things like um, at UND, I studied abroad twice, which was really pivotal on my life. So the first time was in Santiago, Chile. And that just like changed my life at the end of my freshman year. Um, you know, I didn't really speak Spanish fluently. So just deciding to uproot myself and to go down and spend three months in Chile, um, you know, was was traumatic and shocking in a good way. And that it really just made me, the, uh, you know, who the person I am today with the confidence and the ability to want to be adventurous and to do all these things. And so, um, you know, and I still keep in contact a lot with the people that I had met, met there. And then I also had the great privilege of studying abroad in uh, uh, Norway, so uh, Maas, Norway, which is uh, a little bit outside Oslo. So I had that opportunity and, you know, again, very grateful and, you know, encourage anybody that um, does have the opportunity to, you know, really study abroad, um, you know, if you get a chance to. And then I also encourage um, people to intern. So that was also a really big thing that I had, um, you know, during my college career was a few internships. And, you know, those really set the stage for where I am at now when I had interned in the Henny, uh, Henman County Attorney's Office twice. And then I also interned um, at the American College of Norway in Norway. And then I interned with Heidi Heitkamp, who was a senator from North Dakota at the time. So, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? That was my post-hockey life. And then I moved out to Washington, D.C. when I was working for the senator, all these kind of things. I was going to law school. I was working at a think tank. And then... Uh, George Floyd was murdered, and I had worked at Hennepin County Attorney's Office, so I'd had some some gear when I had been working there that I would wear around Washington D.C. So I'd walk around Washington D.C. prior to George Floyd, um, you know, that incident happening, and nobody would know where Hennepin County was, right? I'd walk around anonymous, and I would just go about my day. After that happened, people would still literally grab my shoulder, they'd stop me in the street. Hennepin County, oh my God, that's where George Floyd was murdered, all this stuff. Like, you know, why, why are you wearing, you know, this, this, you know, having just, you know, hysteria, right? And I was like, wow, like Minnesota, Minneapolis, Hennepin County, we're in the spotlight in the world for the wrong reason. And, you know, I grew up in this place. I know that it's not this terrible place that people are, you know, looking at it um, to be in the news and all that kind of stuff. And I really felt compelled, obligated, like it was a duty of mine to do something. So um, I was in law school at the time in DC. I transferred back to law school in Minnesota. I got back on the ground and then I kind of like looked back and reverted to my roots of Minnesota and, you know, being a Minnesotan and that's hockey, right? That's immediately just hockey. And um, so I jumped right back into that. And, um, you know, one of the things that I realized is, right, like the whole Derek Chauvin, George Floyd thing didn't happen overnight, right? Like this was due to years and years and years of a systemic breakdown between 
close cultural relationships between our youth, right? So the reason why there was all this fear and violence in the community was because we didn't have young people of different cultures, um, backgrounds, identities, et cetera, meeting each other and learning how to become friends from a young age. So I said, you know, how can I help and stem that, that flow of violence and, you know, help you know, um, reduce that fear. And that was through a children's book. And that was through using, um, you know, my, my personal experiences that I had had and interwoving those, you know, again, uh, through hockey and through tougher questions on race and, you know, again, through, um, you know, teaching kids, right, et cetera, right, all these things, because you have to be taught to, to hate, right? Kids are not inherently, um, you know, hateful people. They don't say, oh, I don't like Billy because Billy's purple, right? No, they're grandpa and grandpa tells them or you know mom and dad tell them that they shouldn't be hanging out with billy so like you know how do we prevent that or how do we curb that kind of um anti-education that they're receiving by promoting love right and so um creating a, a book is what i did and that's why i came up with hockey is for everybody um so using you know those those stories and um you know instances that have happened to me both good and bad in my in my past and pulling those together for a book and then that's kind of, again, um, just where, where I'm at now. And now I go into classrooms and I'm able to teach there. I do creative writing classes. We do anti-bullying seminars, um, podcasts, you know, just getting people that are um, underrepresented involved in the sport, right? Uh, a camp this summer um, in, at St. Claudia State University, just, you know, doing things like that to kind of, again, like, um, you know, redefine the face of hockey, right? Like right now we have all these groups that are underrepresented and the idea is to get them to a point where they are represented and that really everybody can feel like they belong in the sport that we know we are talking about right now, that we love, that we have dedicated so much of our lives to and that we know really is great for everybody, but just that, um, you know, that, that, that messaging is not there yet. And honestly too, again, just like, you know, the, the, the demographics, right? are not fully there. So, you know, we're working on getting that shifting as much as well. So that's kind of, uh, you know, why I'm back in this space and, um, you know, why I feel so passionately about it. And I just really feel like uh, kind of, again, uh, you know, if we can uh, reduce fear and uh, violence in the community, we can, we can do that by creating strong cross-cultural relationships among our youth. And that's really where I'm, you know, uh, focusing my attention and uh, energy on right now. That's awesome. That's awesome. And <clears throat> so I, I have one, one last question. And I'm going to pass it over to Dirk. Um, I, in, in my experience, which again is drastically different, I, I don't want to claim any similarity, but um, as my last name is Garza, uh, I, I do think I'm uh, here or there. I've been lucky enough in my time in hockey that um, my ethnicity has not come into the conversation on the ice, you know. For kids out there that may have to deal with that, what is your suggestion? Like, it's never easy, but do you have any suggestions any anything that you've utilized that that if or when it happened any you know anyone says anything that you're able to to take it i mean that for lack of a better way to put it yeah i mean i, I honestly think this is a really complicated question i'm not saying that you are oh you're complicated but just that um because right like 
maybe what the right answer is isn't what um you know people necessarily maybe like want to hear or really is like what the right answer is all that kind of stuff right i do think that things have also changed quite a bit so just for instance right when i was younger um you know general wisdom was to ignore them and to skate away and shake it off and you know this you know just those kinds of things right oh they're you know they're idiots and just let them you know do all these kind of things right but like um you know that's been going on now for 20 years right and like we're seeing there's really not not too much of that has actually changed right because like where is there the actual ownership of a problem right where's the actual um you know attempt to try and reconcile and fix you know what has occurred and you know that's that's never there so um you know and that that also again starts with the person that it's happened to right being vocal speaking out having the courage to say something so um you know kind of uh we had mentioned a little bit i don't know if it was off air or not but just that um uh with that young young kid who you know isn't as vocal you're right like we don't always know why kids aren't vocal when when these kind of things are happening to them so like at the end of the day like right i i, I do encourage um right kids to you know uh speak out if, if possible right but i understand how, how scary that is how detrimental that can sometimes be to um right their career ultimately right because again we talk about okay well you know don't have so-and-so on your team because they're just gonna be race baiting all that kind of stuff right but like unfortunately i think that um, you know, that, that really harms, harms the system, the game all, all together. So, you know, moving forward, right. Like back where the, you know, wisdom was, we'll just take it and fight through it, you know, go out, score a goal, take their number, all that kind of stuff. Right. I do think that, you know, we are at that point now where we do have to be speaking out and we should be rewarding, not like rewarding, but we should be encouraging and, um, accepting of when people do do that. Right. Because it is scary for a young kid to come and tell, you know, an adult that like, a player said this or maybe right a coach had said this or etc right and then you know we need action to then on the adult side to be taken right because it's also really deflating i remember times when i had tried to say stuff when i was younger where i was then um you know uh invalidated right so it, you know they didn't mean that or they were just joking or bro oh, that's not that big of a deal right like those kinds of things right no i mean start you know we actually got to listen to the kids and start listening to these kids and, you know, when they're telling us, um, you know, that that they're dealing with something, um, you know, actually coming up with a legitimate solution. So, you know, that solution, I think, is, um, you, know, ta- uh, you know, bringing the people together, having that discussion, um, right? Like, can we, can we, own, right? I mean, the problem, again, is, right, a lot of times these things are said and then people say, I didn't say that and yada, yada, yada. But, like, right, but, you know what, right, you know, bring them together, try to, you know, get... So, you know, to the bottom of it, right? Was this said, right? Own it. Okay, now that we've owned it, right? Now, now let's fix it and let's move on. But like right now, like this, the the non-active ownership and the fact that like it's so much of a thing that we really want to just push under the rug and I just skate through with this and that, I I think is, pro- is problematic and has led us to the point that we're at now. So I know it's scared. I know that, you know, it's scary. I know sometimes, you know, kids because I've been there myself again, right? You know, don't want to be problematic, et cetera. But, um, you know, speaking out in that moment, uh, you know, and you know, holding those people accountable in that in that time, you know, I think is a is really important. And um, where I, I, again, I mentioned like, you know, I think maybe 10 years ago, um, you know, 15 years ago, right? That, that might not have been the best advice and the most common wisdom, but now that we're in a period where people are, you know, listen and are willing to listen, that, um, you know, you no longer, I hope, will be seen as somebody that's problematic, but actually more you'll be seen as somebody that has courage and conviction 
um, to, to do the right thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and I agree too. Like there, there isn't an easy answer and there isn't necessarily a good answer, but it's. And to your point, not to cut you off Drew, but just like my experience isn't everybody else's. And I also want to put that out there because like, you know, you, you saying that and not that like you're diminishing what I'm saying, but just that like your experience is not the same as mine. And there's also black hockey players, right. That have not had that similar experience. And, um, you know, I do some coaching and I coach, you know, some kids that live out of state and all these kind of things and players that play in California and et cetera. And like, you know, a lot of them are like, Oh, you know, it's really, you know, I'd never really gotten that, but then, you know, they did come to Minnesota for instance, and, and we did have incidences here. So it's like, you know, one of those things as well, where it's like regionally, right. Like, um, you know, uh, I, I, I mentioned where I was playing at, right. I played for a town that, um, is traditionally hated actually around Minnesota in general. Um, so like, um, yeah, like people hate Dinah, right? But, you know, I, I, like people do say Dina for, I mean, sometimes it's jokingly, sometimes it's actually real, but like, you know, that in itself is people actually hate Dinah. So the fact that again, like, you know, not only was I, um, you know, this, this black guy playing hockey, right? The sport I shouldn't be playing. I was also playing for, you know, Edina, which is this dreaded team, this dreaded city that everybody hates. And so I had a lot of that going for me. So, you know, like some people who I was able to actually like talk with after some incidences and stuff like that sometimes it'd be like you know what like i am so wrong but the fact that you're for me dino is really what did it for me more than the fact that you not not even more but the fact that you were black at all right it was the fact that i wanted to get under your skin and say something because you were for me dino um is you know why i chose to do what i did so it's just like one of those things where right like you know not everybody that is saying these things might be a you know a nasty racist right sometimes people are just you know misguided and they need to be corrected, right? They need to be told that what they're doing is wrong. Other times, again, there are, you know, it's more vicious, it's more, um, you know, uh, cutting and purposeful and you're being racist, et cetera. And, you know, that's de dealt with in a different way. But like, kind of, again, it's like, you know, my, my experience, right, is not gonna be yours or gonna be the next black person or et cetera, right? We all have our own experiences. And like, that's why I do encourage other people to speak out and to talk about this kind of stuff. Because, you know, again, like that way, um, Right, it doesn't, you know, my story doesn't become this, the, the, the single story because um, I, I, I really, again, love hockey, right? I don't think that like, um, you know, hockey is, uh, you know, a racist sport, et cetera, right? All that kind of stuff. I think that like incidents happen um, while hockey is being played that can be racist that are not being handled correctly at the moment, which then gives hockey a bad name altogether um, once you blow it up into a bigger picture. And like, you know, that's again why I'm just really trying to you know, do what I'm doing now is to, you know, try to correct that record um, in, a, in a in a way that um, doesn't sweep under the rug the more um, less savory details as, as, as well. Yeah, absolutely. And for the record, I don't have any problems with Edina. I actually like Edina. I've been there <laughs> <this> time, so. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't tell anybody from Eden Prairie that. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, but yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, I I love that, and I just wanted to, you know, put that out there as well. That like, no, I don't I don't speak for all people of color or anything like that. There are people I'm sure that are out there that are, you know, black that haven't had any any issue on the ice. But you know, there there is unfortunately, um, you know, a lot of us that that, that do, and you know, um, you know, I'm one of those voices, and um, you know, I appreciate the reception that I've had so far to it. But again, I encourage more people if they have, you know, had these experiences to speak out, um, not to chastise or to condemn, but to, um, again, for reconciliation and for redemption and to 
um, move that ball forward, right? Like taking ownership over a problem that we're seeing in the sport that we love and fixing it. So, and moving forward for the betterment of everybody and the betterment of the game. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. Uh, well, thank you for, for answering all my questions. Uh, this was fascinating and I, I do wish we could talk some more, but I'm gonna pass this over to Dirk and let you guys get on to the second period. Yeah, oh yeah, second period, love it. So, well, like I was saying, it's nice to finally get a chance to, uh, to sit down and have a chat with you, Anthony. Um, so let's talk about uh, the event coming up in July in Minnesota. Um, how did this event get going? And uh, what was your role in, um, in this event? And how, how, did it come, how did it come about the uh, equal opportunity for, I forget how you guys worded it, but it was like, it's like a camp for. Yeah, uh, hockey for everybody. But um, yeah, and no, great, great question, Dirk. Um, so like Minnesota being the, the state of hockey, um, right, a lot of people uh, tend to want to, want to come here to, um, you know, play, play some of the best around the country, as, you know, some people like to say. And so I had the opportunity last year to uh, assistant coach um, a team called the Panthers. And they were a team that was brought together by uh, Rochelle uh, Papian and April Scott, who were two uh, black hockey moms from California. And they also, um, you know, our administrators on the Black Hockey Mommies group on Facebook Etc. But they they had the brilliant idea of having um, a team of BIPOC players, whatever that might look like, come together and to come play in Minnesota against you know some of the some of the best talent around and etc. Right? They wanted that really cool opportunity for their for their boys who were um, you know going to be uh, graduating here soon and they're going to have another full year of the Panthers thing and then the boys will be graduated. But so they were in Minnesota. Um, the team came here. We had a it ended up being like an, an all BIPOC team, which is really cool. Um, almost all black players. There was a, a Vietnamese player as well. And um, we, uh, you know, came in and played really well, all these kind of things, right? Uh, it was just a really cool experience. And then um, they went on their way and life happened and all these kind of things. And then we wanted to run it back again and found out that um, when it comes to that age group, there's not a lot of tournaments for people to really, um, participate in once you get to a certain age so it was kind of like oh okay cool hmm. like you know let's look at um you know is there anything in minnesota right is there anything here there blah blah and we kind of figured out that like well there wasn't really a lot of uh tournaments out there so um you know maybe try to create something of of uh um my own or on our on our own so um you know i started kind of thinking about that i ended up uh, connecting with somebody named jake mars who's also a pivotal part of um getting the camp off the ground and, you know, told him what I was thinking and all these kind of things and um, was like, oh, this is an awesome idea. And it really just took off from there. And then we started talking uh, with St. Cloud State University and, um, you know, that that turned into, you know, whole thing. And then it was, well, you know, hockey is for everybody. So let's include everybody. And that's when we started, you know, uh, LGBTQIA plus and, uh, you know, we ended up working with Josh and Drew and just really, you know, again, people from the BIPOC communities and just like really, um, you know, it's, it's growing into really something special. And just uh, the idea, again, of having everybody um, under the same roof, right, being able to talk and educate and learn and, you know, just be, be around each other and uh, 
you know, know what our, our likes, our dislikes, what our pros, our cons, like all these kind of things, right? Like what's working, what's not working. A lot of times um, we're just having these same conversations, but they're in silos. And um, for all of us to really get under one roof, you know, is going to be, I think, really important. Um, and, you know, they had that like at the Carnegie Initiative, right? Like they had kind of something a little bit similar. Um, but then, right, there's that symposium, that conference portion of it of like, hey, how can we move? the ball forward, uh, the puck forward, right. Um, you know, at, at making the game more diverse, but then there's also that actual on ice physical aspect of like us all playing together, learning, um, right. Like, uh, you know, having, having people maybe try on like the, these goggles that Josh had talked about, right. Like just, you know, getting us all involved in each, in each other's lives. So we better understand each other because like every day, you know, like to Drew was saying earlier, right? It's like, you know, Drew uh, Garza, right? Okay, well, like, you know, Drew's can experience stuff that, um, like, you know, is to, to Drew, but then I can experience stuff that is to me, but then at the same time, right? Like there's a similar theme, you know, through all these kind of things that we can always find. And that's also with the person that's, you know, not a minority, right? Or whatever, again, I mean, a minority even means that like a white person, right? And that's central, right? Like, you know, like we all have so much more in common than we have, you know, apart. And that was really, again, the idea behind this camp and around this movement, you know, with books and camps and, you know, podcasts, right. Et cetera. Right. Just that, like, you know, we're, we're getting people excited about the idea that hockey is moving in the right direction, that the, you know, a, a new page is being written on this sport. Um, and that, you know, we can all really be a part of it and we all should want to be a part of it. And it's, you know, demanding of us to all be a part of it because right. Like if you're not at that table, then, you're often, you know, forgotten about. So the idea is to get everybody at the table to figure out, you know, how can we get to that promised land? That's amazing. Dude. I really, I love the whole story when I heard about it from Josh and Drew. I really thought it was amazing what you guys are doing for, for the store, uh, sport of hockey in general, uh, for, and for minorities that may be reluctant to want to join or not feel like they have a place in the game. Cause I, I, I love the slogan hockey is for everyone. And I truly believe in it. Um, so to get some of our viewers are thinking about coming to Minnesota. Tell can you can you give us an idea of what to expect if they do come to the for the blind hockey for the. Uh, I'm sorry, I was going to call it the Winnie City Showdown, but that's what we used to call it before. Um, what, what would they expect if they were able to make it to this tournament this this year? What what should they expect? Right, so it's going to be in July. So you don't have to worry about snow. I wouldn't pack a coat. Um, but uh, and that's supposed to be a joke. It's Minnesota based. But yeah, no, I, yeah, uh, you know, what you can expect is again ni nice weather, right? We have really mild wind uh, summers, and uh, you can expect St. Cloud University to really roll out the carpet as far as you know they they're really known for their diversity, um, right? It's it's a beautiful town, beautiful state. Um, so what we have actually going on then at the camp itself is I had mentioned it a little bit earlier, but right these seminars. So you have leadership, you have after hockey, you have networking, right? Skill building, all these kind of great things where, right, just all these skills that we're bringing together, we're going to be under one roof and studying each other, studying what makes the game better, what makes us better. So that's one aspect of it. And then there's the side of the, you know, overnight aspect of like, here's this camaraderie and community you get to build. So you get to be at a, at a hockey camp, at a, a uni hockey university, right? D1 university, all these kind of things, right? The atmosphere, is going to be incredible. Everybody there is, you know, hockey minded, et cetera. So you're going to eat together. You're going to celebrate together. You're going to have entertainment together, uh, movies, bowling, et cetera. Right. You know, those are activities we have set up for the nighttime. 
And then you also get the on ice portion of it. So skating, right? You get to have tournaments, you get to skate, um, you know, there are a few, few games back and forth. There's going to be some cool hardware, right? You know, all these kind of things. And the idea again is to, you know, just create this absolutely amazing experience for anybody that really wants to be a part of the game of hockey. And, um, you know, to know that, um, you know, you, you can be a part of it because I mean, I, it's weird. Even the conversation I had today, I, I had a meeting or, so, with, you know, uh, a public figure earlier today, right. Talking about, um, hockey, right. As basically the, the backdrop of the conversation about like, you know, using that as a, as a medium, as a vehicle, right. To, you know, move forward these bigger conversations. And, um, you know, I, I was telling them, I don't really get a lot in my, in my face of any more personal pushback, but, you know, they were telling me about all these, other elements that are out there that really don't want hockey to be more inclusive. And so like, you know, again, I'm, uh, you know, right. The, the, if you want to change the way you look at things, uh, the things, uh, the change the way you look at things, the things, the, uh, the things will get changed. Right. Et cetera. Right. All the kind of stuff like that. Right. But like, you know, like I am so focused on making the game more diverse that I don't even realize that there are these, all these other, anti-elements right that are that are out there trying to keep the game where it's meant to be quote-unquote in their minds which is traditionally wealthy white sport and so i yeah again i think the more that we have people out there um you know doing doing these kind of things etc right like is really important so you know that's what you'll get out of this camp as well as a chance to be a part of the uh counterculture the movement to create something that again is going to become the new norm because, you know, the world is only getting um, more diverse. And so, you know, for us to try and claim that, you know, we're going to stay with this, um, you know, keep hockey traditional the way it's always been when we're seeing that the world is, you know, not, not um, you know, going in that direction seems kind of silly. So, I mean, I, I as you said earlier, uh, believe hockey is for everybody. I firmly believe hockey is for everybody. Um, I've played with people of all different shades and religions and ethnicities, sexual orientations, right? And we're all the same, you know, and it's, uh, you know, the bet, the more we have people pushing that message out, the better. Um, so, you know, come to this camp and, you know, be it, be a part of something that is really going to be special and, you know, essentially one of, you know, first of its kind for, for this to be put together. So, I mean, uh, it's going to be, you know, a heavy lift and a lot of fun, but, like it's it's gonna be so worth the experience for everybody making it out here and again for just you know moving forward the sport into the right direction so yeah no it sounds like it's gonna be an amazing event um i'm really looking forward to meeting you in person and i'm looking forward to working with you and drew and josh and and uh, helping to continue uh developing our sport and uh getting the word out about inclusive hockey for everyone and um i think i can't think of a better segue i'm gonna pass it on to josh uh, for the third period, man. But I just thank you so much, Anthony, for your time. I really appreciate it, and uh, I can't wait to see you uh, this summer. Yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't wait. And you know, again, I, um, like the when you, you know, change the way you look at things, things will get changed, right? Because I mean, like we, we, we know again, right? The hockey has been the way it's been, but like the time for change is now, right? And like you know, we're we're all part of this movement, and you know, like to to think that just you know, things are going to stay the same, right? Doesn't happen. So like, I mean, the, the train's leaving, right? You know, get on board now. I always like to make the comparison of like, you know, when you see those photos of people like screaming, you know, uh, you see people standing in the doorway blocking, you know, African-Americans from going to schools and all these kind of things, right? Like that was 
50, 70 years ago. I mean, these people look ridiculous. You know, now when looking at these photos, like, don't, don't be that person, right? Don't be the person that we're going to look at 50 years from now being like, wow, like, look at how hateful that person was. So, um, you know, like, it's, you know, we're all, we're all trending in the direction of inclusivity and love. And, um, you know, I understand everybody else, you know, has their own, own reasons for being why they are. But um, something that I do when I go into classrooms is, like, I always like to point out that, like, um, right, diverse economy, right? If you don't have a diverse economy, you're, it's going to collapse. If you don't have a diverse diet, your body's going to collapse. If you don't have a diverse gene pool, you're, you know, you're, you're going to collapse, right? So it's like, why wouldn't we want to have diversity in any, like, if we have diversity every other part of our life, inclusion, right, you know, differences, like, why would we want to have that in our friendships and our work colleagues and our families, et cetera? It's only going to make us stronger the way it makes everything else stronger. Awesome. Awesome. I, uh, I do want to talk about the future with you, but I yeah. do have to go back. I was a math teacher, so writing a book is so far outside my realm. But like, <laughs> but like, what what was that decision? Because I kind of, they kind of all the steps lead up to it, and it makes sense. But like, it was a book, and then a children's book, and then a then a, a an illustrated children's book. So, I mean, what was what was the motivation to do it, and what was kind of you know the final decision to actually sit down and and make that really what, cause that, that was the big change, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it really was. And, um, you know, like I was just, uh, I kind of mentioned earlier, like I, I was in a different point in my life. Um, you know, there, there was, a um, a WB Du Bois, uh, sociologist, a kid, a moment where he was turning in this paper that he had written and, um, he looked over to see somebody named Samuel Hose being burned at the stake essentially, and went home and dedicated his life then to, you know, um, you know, moving forward the issues on race and all that to never see that kind of stuff again. And that's how I kind of envisioned myself with what happened with, you know, George Floyd being murdered in Minneapolis. And then, um, you know, there was no way I could really focus on international law and just living my life out in DC when, you know, the city that I grew up in was, was burning to the ground. And like, so, um, you know, that, that was, you know, why I went back uh, to Minnesota, et cetera, right. All these kind of things. And, um, I'm an avid reader, so I've always been an avid reader, and um, you know I like to read a book a week if possible or more, right? And so words have always kind of like come naturally that way. And so when I talk about like a book, right? I mean, it really did just come to me. Like it just I like one one morning I literally woke up, sat down, wrote out the whole manuscript, you know, in one sitting, just from the experience that again had happened to me, and um, you know, wrote it into a, a story with a plot, and um, you know, it had conflict and. It had, you know, rising um, tension and, you know, uh, a climax, et cetera, right? All those kind of things. And I, it was just like, whoa, like, right? I, I'd never written a book before and it just, you know, came out onto the page. So then when I started telling, you know, a couple of people, I showed them and they're like, oh, wow, this is really, really good. And, you know, this is something that you could maybe think about, you know, turning into something if you had wanted, um, to, you know, to further this message that you want to get out there. So, you know, that was kind of the idea. And, that became the idea for a children's book. Well, because again, like you have to be carefully taught. There was a movie called South Pacific, which was like a 1958 movie. And, you know, basically there's a much longer premise, but like a small portion of the, like the, like the movie deals with this woman who is from the South falling in love with a man who has biracial children. And there's a song called you have to be taught. And that in itself is like, kind of, I mentioned earlier, like you have to be taught before you're six or seven or eight. You hate the ones who your relatives hate. You have to be carefully taught. And that really just, you know, I was always sung, sung that song when I was younger. 
my mom always loved it. And like, just to me, it really, again, signaled that like, you know, like kids are not um, hateful, right? Like, you know, kids are not, they don't have the capacity to be hateful. It's, it's a taught kind of behavior. So like, to, you know, the reason why it was a, you know, children's book is so that, um, you know, it could be read to kids. And that what's really cool about things being read to kids is their parents are also reading it, right? So, um, you know, you get, you get a chance to, um, you know, have that message be, be read or, you know, hopefully retained or at least, you know, um, absorbed uh, to a certain point by both child and parent. And so, you know, that's, uh, you know, essentially where that, where that led. And, um, you know, kind of, again, like it, it just, I, I am not uh, the most hyper-religious person in the world, but like, you know, I, I know that like through, uh, you know, my adoption that I had, you know, maybe mentioned a little bit earlier on the show, the fact that I was, you know, in Washington, DC, like all these kind of things. Like I, I am a, a product of, um, you know, an interesting background just with transracial, um, adoptee with white parents and Jewish family members and gay family members and, um, Muslim family member, right. You know, just all these kind of things, right. Just all these, um, you know, I, I am, I am capable of having prejudice like everybody else, but it, it is, um, you know, much, much harder when it, when your family is so many different shades and, you know, represents so many different parts of, of the community. So, um, you know, that is really kind of, again, just like why, it's that where it's at and, you know, the struggles that I've gone through, um, you know, if they can help one kid, which is I'm actually starting to now see the residual effects of the stuff I'm doing, which is really cool. Um, you know, I recently, I was out and about, um, you know, in public life, right. Just doing my thing. And I actually had a kid like stop me, show me the cover of my book on his phone and was like, Oh, wait, did, didn't you write this? And was like, can I get a photo with you and all this stuff? And it was a young, a young black kid. And, um, you know, all these kind of things. And it was just like, you know, told me that he really liked the book and that, you know, it's able to, you know, change, change his mind on a lot of things. So it's like, you know, even if it was this one individual, you know, that, that could have their life changed by, by reading this book, um, you know, then everything that, you know, I'd experienced and, you know, it's all, it's all worth it in that sense. So, um, you know, that's how it got to be like a book, right. I'm an avid reader. I think that, you know, reading is, something I, I encourage everybody to do, um, you know, literacy, right. Knowledge is power, all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, wrapping up my story as well with something like hockey and, um, you know, inclusion, uh, only, only was the icing on the cake to be able to do that. So, like I said, like I, I never intended to, um, I was out in DC, I was in planning to, uh, you know, be an international lawyer and, you know, do all these other kind of things. And I really felt called back, um, to this space to, to do what I'm doing now. Uh, ironically, I saw South Pacific on Broadway. My yes. mother's a ma my mother's a massive South uh, South Pacific. Buff. My mother's a massive Broadway buff, but I could not have been older than nine or ten. So I'm trying to go through songs in my head, and like not. And I I have I was actually searching it as you went. And I'm like, oh, definitely the same show. Don't remember it though. So I definitely have to go back and watch. But that's also the the ha kind of household I was brought up in. Um, I mean, my, my father grew up in my father grew up in the Bronx. Like he grew up through it. And my mother grew up in the war torn England. She like, she, she knows what it's like to struggle. And, and she, and they, and they, and they, they grew up helping other people. So, um, I did, uh, I, so I also, I wanted to make another point. I actually am working with, uh, my alma mater at Maryland now with, um, undergrads in, in policy and leadership 
and I'm sitting there going, man, I, I wish <laughs> I wish I had someone who actually knew the area down there. But um, they're actually working. I'm working towards something with transportation because that's got to help with us. Um, now, what, what do you plan to do with the law with your law degree? Because you have a year left, right? This is your last last semester, right? So yeah, and um, you know, uh, I actually now have about four months left, maybe less than I, that. I, you're you're a math guy, but I graduate on <laughs> June third is the date of the graduation. Congratulations. I mean, that's got to be less than four months. Yes, there you go. Cool. Like that's I said, a good one. That even better. sounds better, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I'm honestly incredibly excited. Um, you know, I am so honored, blessed, grateful to have um, had the opportunity to have gone to law school, to have gone through law school, um, you know, to, to get that kind of education. Um, but, you know, I am, I'm ready now to go out into the world and to really, you know, use that education for good and, you know, what they really want us to be doing it for. So, um, you know, Mitchell Hamlin School of Law is where I'm at, uh, you know, where I'll be finishing up at in, um, in St. Paul, Minnesota, and love the school, encourage everybody to check it out. Um, you know, they, they're so innovative. Um, they have a program for felons um, that they're able to go to school. And, um, you know, a lot of, uh, there's a the first of its kind, uh, Black Letter Law Center, and et cetera. And, um, you know, that the, a lot of the, the law focuses on how the laws affected um, black citizens and BIPOC citizens over the course of a couple centuries, et cetera. So Mitchell Hamlin does a, does a great job. So yeah, I'm really excited, uh, excited and, um, you know, grateful to be a part of such an awesome and inclusive institution. And then, um, but yeah, I'll be done there, you know, in the, in the spring here in a couple months. And after that, I plan on taking a bar in February of 24. So, um, you know, I'll take a little bit of time off there. <laughs> to, um, you know, be more out in the community, to, um, you know, the hockey camps and et cetera. And then I also will be helping, like, adoptees. That's kind of like, uh, you know, it's not, it'll be more of like my little bit of a niche legal clinic stuff. Um, I've talked to a few other adoptee lawyers as, as, as well, um, just in the area. But um, as I kind of mentioned as well, right, that's a bigger part of my life and story. And that's not one that people know about as much just because the hockey stuff is more front and center. But yeah, I'm an adoptee. Um, you know, it's been a huge part of my life. When I was 25 years old, I reconnected with my biological family um, on, through a closed adoption. So my records are so closed, right? That was never supposed to happen. Um, it just happened to happen again. And I'm really grateful for that. But, um, you know, I, I don't speak for all adoptees because everybody's different. But for me, um, it was something I needed personally um, to, you know, make myself whole. So I, I really um, am so grateful to God every day for the, have that opportunity, but I am looking to help others achieve that if that's what they want to do. Um, so, you know, that's, it's really complicated to be honest. Again, that could be a whole nother episode, especially if you're an inner country adoptee. Sometimes there's paperwork wasn't signed right and stuff like that. And you might not be listen <laughs> or, you know, et cetera, right. There's, there's so many just weird things. So, um, you know, I, I definitely like to fight for the underrepresented and underprivileged. Um, and that's uh, what I continue, will continue to do, but on the adoption side. Now, that, and that's awesome. That, that was another way we connect, we uh, connected also. Um, that's, uh, that's great. Uh, I honestly, I, I'm excited to meet you. And actually, when this episode comes out, it'll be uh, this weekend. Because awesome. it'll, be, no it'll be, it'll be basically 10 days from now. So, um, It'll be great to see you. Great to play with you. Um, 
it's a you will this is a, an awesome connect i think this will, you'll be an awesome connection for this community and this community will be an awesome connection for you um i am so glad to have you on here um is there uh is there anything else you want to add on this end before we kind of wrapped up wrap up i just want to say i like when you change the way you look at things the things will get changed right i kind of butchered that a few times out through through this but like seriously i mean like we can like when you like there, there, there's so much love out there right like if you hyper fixate on what's wrong with the world and stuff like that then like you're going to see your reticular activators right are going to be like focusing on that kind of stuff right but if you choose love and exception accept, acceptance etc right like that's the kind of stuff that you're going to surround yourself with. That's how I found Josh and, or how, you know, we found each other and drew, right. Because like we're loving, accepting, like we want to, you know, go out and, you know, create a better world for people that are coming after us. So that's just something I want to say, right. Like, you know, um, choose love, right. Like, uh, you know, go out there and right. Find somebody that is different than you on purpose and get to know them. Um, because you know, it'll change your world for the better. So, um, thank you all for having me on. Uh, I cannot wait to again see you in person. Super funny. Um, for my, a lot of my law stuff, um, pandemic-wise, it went online and this and that. So now, as we're getting back in person, um, it's really fun to like see people. And one of the funny things we always say is, um, "Oh, you have legs!" Like, so because you're always <laughs> looking at people's faces and stuff. So you know, it'll be fun to see y'all and to you know to see us skating around and uh, you know see our actual physical bodies. So I can't wait for that kind of stuff and uh, to really be able to see you there. So um, cannot wait for that. And thank you so much. Awesome. Um, and, and please, uh, go pick up his book, uh, it is on Amazon. It is, are you still number one? It, uh, I was, I'm not sure anymore, but and then, yeah, one and two. So yeah, hot, sorry, my gosh, hockey celebrity. Um, you know, we have the book itself on Amazon. Um, right. The story is again, just like autobiographical in a way, right. I took the, some of the stuff that had happened to me over the 15, 20 years of playing and put them into a story so that adults and kids, right, could understand it. Um, it's an icebreaker, quote-unquote, right, for the tougher conversations. And then um, Hockey's for Everybody 2, um, Anthony Goes to Camp, is actually out as well. And that's a continuation of the story. And it shows how to uh, identify a problem, how to own it, and how to fix it, and how to move on. Um, and, uh, you know, you have uh, the protagonist and the antagonist from the first story become the protagonist in the second one. And again, it just really walks you through how to deal with issues of um, racial injustice and what it looks like to move past that in a very positive way. So again, thanks for uh, you know plugging that as well, and I really appreciate it. No problem.